Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we We have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too. So why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. (laughs) Um, Also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye. Hey, guys. Hey. It's Elizabeth and Alex, and we're super pumped to bring you our show this week. So our guest this week is Hannah Donovan, and Han is... A tech baddie. A tech fucking baddie, dudes. (laughs) I'm so pumped to talk to her and to share her story with you guys because, you know, we've done other episodes where we talk about male-dominated industries, and I wanted to bring somebody else in who's kind of killing it in this male-dominated industry. So Hannah is a entrepreneur. And she is the creator of the Trash app, which was actually just recently sold to Visco, which is so fucking badass because, as she tells us, really, when you go into the tech space as an entrepreneur, there's only two ways to exit properly. Really, you either want to get acquired or you want to do an IPO. Bitch got acquired. So fucking cool. Yeah. So, um, I'm very excited for her. Yeah, I'm so excited for her. And I actually didn't even know that she was being acquired. Hannah is a client of mine who started coming to True Beauty a little while ago. And then she moved to the West Coast because she had to, you know, go to Silicon Valley because that's where all the yeah, tech startups are. Be a tech are. person. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we just caught up and her story's incredible. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's really fun. And again, because this is a male-dominated industry, I find it even more interesting. Totally. And Han also sort of tries to sort of downplay herself. Like, you'll hear her say, For real. And she'll be like, oh, yeah, and then I went to work for Jack. And I'm like, Jack Dorsey? 
As in the owner of Twitter? As in what? the owner of Square? What? Like, what? <laughs> so she's such a badass. She's awesome. And she's going to tell us all about her journey from being a young gal in Canada, following her dreams across the world and building this company, building this product that she hopes to be bigger than herself and to really be game changing. And I think that it is. Agreed. So guys, enjoy our conversation with Hannah Donovan. Enjoy. I'm excited to speak with you because essentially we, Alex and I, just celebrate incredible women. And it started out as a show kind of highlighting people's careers and then it just kind of became the show we just talk to bad bitches all the time and (laughs) just try and get some great bad bitch advice that we can share to other people. But specifically with you, I think it's interesting that you are a woman in tech and in a venture capital-backed company, which I think is even more the... Slim Pickens, I would imagine, how many women are in Yeah, yeah and also, I don't know if you heard the latest news, but not anymore. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I sold my company. You did? Dude, that's <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I yeah. was not oh expecting God. that good news. When you said that, I thought it was going to be like, oh, yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, awesome. Like, that's oh God, what I know. That's so great. Well, your face no. did not give it away at all. Also, you've got a great poker face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, thanks. Many, many years of practice in the boardroom. Yeah, we closed. Um, it's been a whirlwind. We announced it not last week, the week before. It was like, it was, we closed the deal on the 30th of November and then announced it the first week of December. So it was in the news and everything and like on the internet. But I wouldn't wow. have expected you to know because you probably don't read like tech press and stuff I like don't that. Read te- <laughs> I don't read tech press. In yeah. the last episode of the pod, I listened to two of yours. Trump had just gotten COVID. So <laughs> I'm a little bit behind right. on the podcast yeah, also. <laughs> we, um, yeah, we talked about it on this last episode, on episode 30. And then we're actually taking a break right now, which is like why this slotted in perfectly because this is like my usual podcast time so I was like cool one for one just like switch didn't need to like jam anything more on my schedule but um right. yeah it was really exciting it's been it has been a journey oh my god I'm so happy for you it was like I sold my company that's so great dude like yeah wow yeah. yeah so the acquirer um is Visco if you know that company I can see the logo but I don't know if I know what I they do like I do know who they are yeah they do like photo and video editing they're pretty big they have like over 100 oh, million yeah, Visco, users globally VSCO. yeah oh that's huge oh my god wow yeah they're like a really big company <laughs> like, it's kind of a big deal guys you're not excited <laughs> yeah, enough <laughs> so you know what it is and as part of the whole acquisition process my whole team has gone over there and then I um I'm the new director of product, so I'm now responsible for the entire Visco app. So that's my new job. Wow, girl. <laughs> Holy shit. So, this is so cool. I don't run a venture backed company anymore. Yes. I- you're Just even better. Sold Bitch sold your company. <laughs> she was way better. You did it. You did. I mean, I imagine that that's not the goal, but a goal along the way of building a company. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like. When you start, I mean, there's really only two ways to have a successful exit in tech, which are you either sell it or you IPO. Like, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's the bar. Yeah. You did it, it, girl. That's awesome. (laughs) Wow. Well, what an introduction, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Now, let's find out about who you are. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be the most laid back, fun, least um, serious podcast interview you're ever going to do probably for the rest of your life now that you're big and famous. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> if you don't mind just saying your name um, and who you are. Sure. Hi, I'm Hannah Donovan, and I am newly <laughs> a director of product at Visco because I recently had my company acquired as of two weeks ago. Um, before that, I was the founder of a company called Trash that helps people make instant video on their phone using artificial intelligence. So cool. So fucking cool. So where did you grow up, Hannah? I grew up in a little place called Edmonton, which is one of the largest, most northern cities in Canada. So it's cold, real mm -hmm. cold. Like it starts snowing in like October and doesn't really melt until like sometimes the beginning of June. Wow. Uh, and it like regularly hits minus 30 degrees minus 30 centigrade which is very close to minus 30 in fahrenheit because i think they match up around minus 40 so it's cold as fuck oh, yeah. um do you do you still go to work when it's that cold yeah so everybody does pretty much everything <laughs> You still go to yeah, work people work. people go to work, kids <laughs> go to school. Like I remember I remember bundling up. We people wear like kids especially wear like full on like snowsuits, like snow gear there. Yeah. I remember like bundling up like head to toe in a snowsuit and putting on like ski goggles to walk to school oh because otherwise God. I would get frostbite. Wow. <laughs> All I know is that like I've had snow days from school and I grew up in New York. I would have snow days from school if it snowed like more than five, six inches. Yeah. Or, yeah. or I mean, two or three inches, really. I mean, the snow in New York is definitely gross, for sure, because it's, like, always a, with a side of rain and slush and mm -hmm. freezing and wind. And it's actually... I, I actually really hate winter in New York. And where I grew up, like, the winter is actually much more doable because even though it's really, really cold, it's very sunny. So it also gets, like... Um, it has some of the, like, highest number of Sundays in North America that whole belt really? through, like mm -hmm, Alberta and Colorado gets like max sun it's like over 300 days of sun a year wow. or something so even though it's really cold outside it's beautiful because it's a blue sky every day with this like sparkling white ground and wow. it's also yeah. it's also very dry so it doesn't really like precipitation only comes in the form of snow so it never really rains other than that wow that is and so the snow is like dry enough that you can like sit in and kind of like not get wet if that makes sense it's almost feels like styrofoam sometimes wow so it's strange. so i can't even imagine it's so dry and so cold yeah i mean i can imagine <laughs> it but i can't imagine living there but it doesn't stick together. You can't make a snowman with it. It's yeah. just like it's just like fluff. You yeah, know? it's like that fake snow that you see totally. in like uh, store displays. Yeah. Did you do lots of winter sports? I mean, this is a stupid question. If you do any kind of sports, it's got to be winter sport, obviously. But yeah, definitely. So my family's really big into skiing. My dad and my little sister are both ski patrols, and that's actually where I'm at right now. Is I'm in the mountains in British Columbia, actually, because. Mm. I'm about to visit my sister who lives in Vancouver, so I'm hanging out in Whistler, quarantining before I hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe can just get a tiny little bit of socially distanced <laughs> skiing in. Nice. <laughs> do you only do downhill? Do you do you guys do cross country as well? I mainly do downhill. Like that's what my family was into, and yeah. that's what I learned. I mean, of course, you learn all the winter sports in Canada. Like right. I remember phys ed class when I was a kid, like most of the year would just take place on the skating rink and so mm. you would learn like all the things you can do on a skating rink like, right be, that's actually really be, cool 
figure skating and yeah. hockey and curling and I don't know now we're playing another game on the skating there's ring no like it was curling curling is the dodgeball of Canada. and like snowshoeing <laughs> and I kind of cross-country skiing is pretty difficult it's pretty like physical it's like yeah. basically like running in the snow yeah um so it's not as fun is downhill in my opinion but a lot of people love it it's quite hard to do it's quite uh, strenuous I've never done cross, <laughs> cross country but I did downhill growing up I couldn't tell you about mm-hmm. it anything about it now I think the last time I went skiing I was probably 13 but my boyfriend grew up going cross country and he's like we should start doing that and I'm kind of scared because that's exactly what he said is it's really difficult and I'm not very active so <laughs> 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 it's like running in the snow no 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 active well, not, no, yeah, not I can not. usually do it for like I'm fairly active, but I can usually do it for like ten minutes. What? Because oh, it's how like not, it is? yeah, okay. It's just like running in the snow with like these long things on your feet. I, I, I was completely <laughs> romanticizing it. I thought that it would be like gliding with the deer. <laughs> it's, I did it's higher on exercise, lower on gliding. <laughs> <laughs> My only like whenever I've gone like skiing or snowboarding with friends, I just don't do either, and I just go snow too. I just like get drunk mm. and go snow tubing with like, children. That tracks. I love Got that. It. Alex. I like that about you. I bet you probably bring the you bring the apro ski as well, right? <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, I just go so, tubing. That's so cute. Oh my god. Okay, so but the other thing that you do in a really cold place that I think is worth mentioning for this show is, or at least for me, I think a big part of what shaped me is growing up in a fairly cold, isolated-ish place. Is you do have a lot of time to do stuff and like make stuff Mm -hmm. and I think this is one of the reasons that there's so many very prolific Canadians all over the world now who started really honing their crafts living in these cold wintry cities like Edmonton and Winnipeg and Regina and even Toronto like you kind of have two choices like one is you can get kind of like sad and down about it or you can choose to like embrace it whether that's hitting the mountains to go skiing or hanging out inside and like practicing your guitar and getting really really good mm-hmm. those are sort of the two options yeah. when you live in a cold ass place <laughs> did you find that a lot of people that like a lot of your friends was it the same where they really like hardworking and, and dedicated the way that you were or a little bit yeah so the Edmonton the city is is quite I, I usually describe it to Americans that like the closest thing that I can liken it to in the states is like Austin in the okay. sense that it's very like kind of weird and cool and it's like a college town and there's like a big concert hall there and like all the bands come through the city it's so it's very like it's got a real cultural vibe going on. It also has the largest theater festival in North America in the summer. So there's like a lot to enjoy, but the winters are also really, really long. And I mean, there's also, of course, a lot of problems too. I don't want to paint like an entirely rosy picture. Sure. Like not everybody is fortunate or able to do these types of like interesting activities, but yeah, the, the close group of friends that I grew up with actually. So like my two neighborhood friends that lived like across the street and next door to me, we used to make movies when we were kids. We were, like, super into making uh, videos, and we were... I was obsessed with, like, trying to get onto America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, I, I love didn't quite that. realize... I love that. That was the goal. 
<laughs> I didn't quite realize that that probably wasn't going to be possible for a Canadian kid, but I sure was trying. Um, still America. And still North America. Sorry. Yeah. So, like, we had this video camera that I, I kind of borrowed from my dad, which is another story. I can tell you about this because it says a lot about my, I don't know, <laughs> disregard for rules. <laughs> And we, like, ran around our neighborhood making videos. And today, those two women both have become really impressive in their own ways. Like, one of them is a really talented musician and singer, and the other one hosts radio uh, on a pretty big station in Canada. So, like, it's kind of interesting to see how we all found our found our niche and I do still keep in touch with a bunch of people from my grade school which is odd but it was a very tight-knit place and they're all doing pretty cool stuff now so I think it's a great place to grow up and like take your time building a skill because I just think like I also used to live in New York I now I live in LA and like sometimes when I look around New York I was just like man I don't know how I would have been like a teenager in New York there's so many things to do and there's so many distractions like Mm -hmm. I would have just been running around partying and having way too much fun. And instead, (laughs) (laughs) and like instead, which is also what I did in New York as an adult, um, but instead, like, because there wasn't a whole lot and and like just getting around in the cold is kind of difficult Mm -hmm. and like you have to drive places. It's like a driving city. It's like spread out kind of the same way Texas is spread out. Like there's a lot of similarities. I just ended up getting really into computers and really into design and mastered a bunch of design software and then that was what Wait, got you mastered me. a bunch of design you you can't just, yeah, just offhandedly like, no, say that when you're when just like you as a school, kid right? though like i yeah. got really into all this stuff and i was like pirating pirating different software and like figured out how to do things like partition my drive to run, run like really early versions of like adobe and os 10 and stuff and i just like by the time i was a teenager i was just like fluent in photoshop and i, I really wow. wanted to do design and i was like really excited about what i was making in video and a lot of my friends were nerds that were into computers too so yeah i think about all of that now looking back on it like i don't know if i would be where i am today if i hadn't had that just that time to like mess around and play around with these tools and like just make things in these like long winter nights and days yeah because you're not you're not 40 right you're like 37 ish i'm 38 38 okay so well i'm just trying to i'm trying to figure out with the time period because the internet was brand new when you were doing all Mm -hmm. this tinkering and you're trying to brush it off like it's not that big of a deal but it is the internet was super brand new like i had to beg my parents to get well my dad was really into computers and we had a mac plus when i was a kid that I was obsessed with, that I was, like, constantly using, like, Mac Paint on, and I was, like, obsessed with... Was that the see-through with... one, where you just plugged in the Mac Plus? No, it was even earlier than that. Mm. It was, like, a little gray rectangle thing. With, oh, I like, remember that matrix one. printer attached to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had this coloring book slash workbook thing on, like, how to create icons with pixels, and I was really... I just remember spending this one afternoon where I was, like, obsessed with trying to draw, like, the perfect tree out of pixels, which is actually really hard because you just kind of wind up drawing squares all the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, Susan Kerr had just shipped all of those amazing icons for the Macintosh, and I was just, like, really entranced with that world and yeah. wanted more and more and more of it. And so, like, 
begged my parents to get a computer with a CD-ROM, and my dad ended up bringing one home from his office, and I was so excited because, like, I didn't normally, like, get what I asked for as a kid, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's actually bringing me home a computer, and it was a bag of computer parts, and he was like, <laughs> okay, now we have to build this, and I was like, oh, my God, what? That's so great. <laughs> Is he an engineer? No. So my dad worked in fashion at the time. He's an entrepreneur. He's had two very successful businesses. And he worked in fashion because that was my family business that my grandmother and grandfather started and had been passed on to him through a few generations. And so he studied at FIT for a minute and then went home to run the family business. And his job was, at the time, besides being general manager for the business with his sister, they co-ran it. He also did all the buying. So his job was a lot about like understanding trends and being able to predict what people were going to want to wear like seasons in advance. And so that was also a big factor in what contributed to, I think where I am today is like being around all of these like lookbooks and fabric samples and like hanging out in the back of his store, um, helping with inventory. I was put to work at a pretty young age too, like doing odd jobs and then eventually got promoted to doing more um, real jobs at the store, like sales and windows, which I loved. And windows was was a big factor in, in choosing to study design. Mm-hmm. And it, it all started because uh, there used to be this one window that was kind of small for a grown adult to fit inside. It had like this tiny little trap door on the side. You had to kind of like wiggle into it and then get inside and like do the mannequins. And the mannequins are like super expensive. Like Hinsgall mannequins are worth thousands of dollars a piece. And oh, so wow. you have to be super careful with them. And they all come apart with like these articulated wrists and fingers and stuff and um you like cannot drop any of the pieces Mm, (laughs) really bad and so you have to take them all apart and carefully put the clothes back on and pin them all carefully and and put the mannequin back together and make sure the clothes don't fade in the window there's there's a lot of aspects to it but I was small enough because I didn't really I didn't really hit a growth spurt until much later in life so that I could climb through that little window so and get into job. that yeah. space so yeah, like, that's how it started off it was like, yeah yeah my dad would like kind of push me through the window and then he would like stand there and like tell me what to do and like walk me through the whole thing because oh he was God. too big to get inside I can totally picture this <laughs> and I love it's like an old school I can picture this old school window too where it's like you know like um Lumi's and and well R.I.P. Barney's but like those windows yeah. where you don't yeah. see the rest it of was, the store it's like enclosed it was totally it was exactly like that like yeah. those enclosed like style windows that were yeah. like really in vogue and like the the 70s and the 80s and and still around in some of these older stores today and I mean later they moved to a newer store that had the more like modern open windows where you can easily get around the mannequins it's much easier to do stuff but right. um <laughs> so yeah. um sorry I took you on that tangent but um, so the reason I asked is because your dad brought you home all these computer parts which my dad was an engineer so it was very normal for him to do that like he did the same thing for cool. us I think actually he used to work That's for amazing company. well he was it is kind of amazing it kind of makes sense the way that I think in terms of like breaking things apart and putting things back together. Mm. But when we asked for computers, my dad worked for a company that was a contractor of IBM and he just mm-hmm. went in the dumpster and he pulled out a couple of laptops and he was like, they're just throwing these away, kids, here you go. So it's like, yeah. I, mean, I just think it's amazing, like kids from our generation or that time that had access to technology in that way where their parents were like, here, you know, like try this thing out because 
like you say, it really changes how you think about the world and like mm-hmm. taking things apart and putting them back together again, for instance. Um, so yeah, he had some old computers in his office and was like upgrading or something. And yeah. I got the old pieces. And so we ended up putting together a computer and that was, that was how I got my first computer with a CD-ROM. And then, yeah, I remember like using the phone line constantly for mm-hmm. the internet until my parents mm-hmm. got so frustrated yeah. and <laughs> to upgrade it. Yeah, I love it. That sound, a sound that yeah. uh, so many generations will never know. I could hear it. I can hear it right now, and I'm not going to ruin all of your yeah. ears. By they'll never to... know the, the sound of that little, like, dial-up modem. God. Or, like, I learned how to touch type on ICQ. I don't know what ICQ is. It was, like, a messenger program from, like, pre-MSN Messenger's days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> MSN Messenger. MSN Messenger was awesome. <laughs> So I've got a question is where do you think that so since my dad was always like a computer engineer, we were around computers, it was very normal mm-hmm. to me. But for you, it kind of just found you, it sounds like, right? Like one thing happened, but then it kind of just snowballed into this great passion. Is that would you agree or? Yeah, I would say so. Like my dad was definitely or still is, I should say, is is always interested in gadgets and technology. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't just computers, like he's into cars and into like having like the latest digital camera and all this kind of stuff. And um, I actually remember when he got his first digital camera, because up until that point, he was doing buying like completely with notes, which is insane when you think of like, you're looking at like, 27 different racks of like black skirts at like a fashion show and you have to remember what everything oh, looked like wow wow yeah and you're doing this for and you're doing this for days on end too yeah. like for a whole week and trying to keep all of the orders like straight and remember like exactly the different detail like did totally. we already buy yeah. like a midi skirt do we need another one what sizes are we getting so I remember when he got the digital camera because he was showing it to me and flipping through the photo and he was like look at this like I <laughs> I can photograph everything so that we're gonna buy this is amazing and if I forget exactly what that blouse looked like I can like look back on it he's just like a pro technology kind of person I love that. and I think that like having access to technology was was part of it because I had the ability to like play with it which mm. I'm so grateful for but then the passion I think came from I have always had this interest in the future like I'm not a nostalgic person I don't really look back on the past too much I'm always very focused on what's next and what the future is so I think that was part of it and then my friend group as well I was around a bunch of people that were really interested in tech and I think it just kind of rubbed off on me like early on and then when I was in design school in college I was studying graphic design and the thing about design is is that you need somebody for the most part you need somebody to actually bring your design into the world you need somebody to print your thing you need someone to manufacture your thing you need to like go from prototype to mass market adoption of Mm. whatever it is whether it's industrial design or graphic design or anything and like I remember doing all these projects where we were like going to the printers and like learning how to do offset printing and stuff like that and then I had this like flash class or something and I was just like messing around like making things and as soon as I realized that I could like write my own code and just immediately publish my work to the world without having to go through an intermediary person I was hooked Mm. that was the moment where I was like oh my god this is amazing because you don't have to deal with like anybody else right (laughs) you could just yeah 
do it all yourself. And it was so fluid. Like if you didn't like it, you could just kind of push another commit and change it. Well, we didn't have commits back then, but you could like just get, you know, just open up the HTML and change it. And it just felt like this really fast, easy way to get your ideas out into the world that was so radical that I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is absolutely where I need to spend the rest of my life. And I remember my graduating class that year, it was right after our degree show in the art gallery in the fine arts building. And there were maybe about like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 kids graduating from my class that year. And we were having this chat in the hall afterwards with our glasses of champagne, talking about like what we were going to do next and what we wanted to do with our careers. And like everybody there wanted to go work on annual reports or like do print or go work in fashion magazines. And I was like, I want to go make websites. And they just laughed at me. They were like, you know, you can only use like seven colors, right? You know, like all the fonts are ugly and you can only use like five. It's like Ariel and like Tahoma and it's so gross and everything's like small and crappy looking. And I was like, yeah, but it's not going to be like that forever. This is just the beginning. Like this was in 1999. Okay. All right. Well, I mean... That's still very small. I started college in 1999, and so I finished, I graduated in, like, 2003. So it was still very early days. Yeah. And, you know, we still, websites weren't that great looking, and you couldn't use a lot of images oh, in them because they would get too graphic, heavy. Sorry, I just put two and two together, that you studied graphic design because there wasn't yeah. really, like, coding at that point, right? There was, well, I would have had to study computer science had I done that route. Right. Um, I so, yeah, I studied, like yeah. yeah, I studied graphic design, so everybody was like, oh, I want to go work you know for Vogue I want to do photo shoots I'm going to be an art director I'm going to do layouts I'm going to go make annual reports and I was like I'm going to go make websites and they were like they were like you're insane why would you do that yeah (laughs) well I feel like because when I hear graphic design now you're right I I always think like digital because that's what we always see so I think like yeah you do all these things like da 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 but that was so it didn't exist really at that point it was still like I mean you cut things out like literally copy and pasting storyboards Mm -hmm. and stuff yeah, like, it had really just, the industry had just started to change. Like, I was in the first class that they stopped teaching lead type 2, I remember. Wow. But, like, they still made us, like, work in the dark room and, and learn Ruby with and how to, like, put, you know, like, your own typography on top of photographs and stuff like that. And we still had to do everything on, on paste up on these boards, and the boards would go on the wall and, like, learn how to do your own lettering with ink on these boards so it was it was a mix of digital and traditional and I'm very glad that I learned all those traditional techniques because it's given me such a appreciation for how much like just time goes into this stuff like Mm. it's really like you have to really love the craft to be a graphic designer you or to be a designer in general you have to really love your craft because there's so many hours that just go into like painting a letter on a piece of paper but (laughs) yeah I did there was like a mix where like they had some computers and none of our profs really knew how to use them but we sure did yeah that's so cool (laughs) that's really cool so then what was next so you were like I want to build websites everybody laughed at you you're like fuck off I'm doing it and so what yeah yeah what was next for you so at that point I knew that I had to leave Edmonton because it wasn't the place to get a job doing what I wanted to do and it wasn't the place to have impact and in fact I knew that I also needed to leave Canada like it's a beautiful amazing wonderful country but it wasn't going to be the place to have I wanted to have like global impact with my work and that Mm. sounds really ambitious but I knew that at that time and so 
I knew I needed to leave. I wanted to move to New York City. I had been to New York one time and stayed with a friend of mine from my painting class and also hung out with my one of my friends from the, the music department because I'm also a cellist. And I at first I was doing sort of a, a double major in music and design and then eventually decided I couldn't do both things and had to had to graduate with a design degree but I did go really really far in music and so one of my good friends from the music department she had gone on to study at Juilliard and I went to New York to visit her and my friend Michael from my painting class and I had just a phenomenal time it was like I think it was like 2001 or something and it was like the world had opened up to me there was just so much art and culture and music Mm -hmm. and amazing things to enjoy and I think especially that environment that I was in like I was literally like low-key like illegally staying in a dorm in Juilliard and so (laughs) (laughs) it was very cool um and I was like this is where I need to be so I had been working for a long time like I started working when I was pretty young, like first at my dad's store and then um, later with a string quartet, which is what wow. I used to like make money all through college and wow, also through high school. Wow, really cool. Yeah, so I've been gigging for like seven years and our string quartet was pretty well known in the city by that point and we had a lot of ways that we would like sort of make a lot of money like we, we would do. <laughs> we, were, we were really savvy with the marketing, let me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, we used to like hold our rehearsals at the farmer's market, so so that we could essentially get paid to rehearse and like Ooh, some of the stuff we were playing. That's so smart. So fucking smart. It's <laughs> <laughs> not awful, right? Because someone would pull out some sheet music and we just start playing it and it wouldn't sound that great. But then, because you're rehearsing it. But then the minute, the minute we had like radar eyes, the minute we saw a couple walking past holding hands or like looking each other in the eyes, we'd like switch to Pachelbel's Canon immediately. Like that <laughs> wedding song. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> And, and so, also, yeah, it's so smart. <laughs> and so we'd switch to Bacchus Cannon. They'd immediately hear that wedding music come on, and they'd like turn around and be like, "Oh, do you play weddings?" And we'd be like, "Yes, we do." Stop. Like, and so, it's yeah. So good. And so we just like we one by one kind of like cornered a bunch of different markets for weddings as well. And like Wait, we started by trying. Did you say? Yeah, in high school and college. And we we started by, like, trying to corner the wedding markets for the longest ceremonies because you get paid by the hour as a musician. Mm -hmm. So we were like, cool, we're going to do, like, Greek Orthodox weddings. They're super long. (laughs) We're going to do bilingual weddings because they're super long. Everything's in English and French. We're going to do, like, Roman Catholic services. They're super long. You have to hire a singer for them as well. That's extra cash. Anyway, so... (laughs) And Tuesday, I love you have the entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit from your parents. Clearly, clearly that that yeah. early you're cornering markets, girl. Like you're yeah, like that. Like, is, yeah, it's not just like market. exactly. I'm not just gonna do weddings. We're gonna figure out which weddings we're gonna do. Why? And which like, weddings you can charge yes. the most amount of money for? Basically. Honestly, that's so great. <laughs> it's so great. Um, yeah, so we did that, and that was pretty profitable. So by the time I graduated college, I was had saved up enough money that I was able to move. And so the first place that I went to was Toronto because that was like the largest city in Canada at the time. It seemed like the best shot that I had to figure out what was next and figure out how I could leave and get to a bigger place. And I climbed my way up the agency ladder in Toronto, like working for a marketing agency there. And that was a really good experience. Like it wasn't fun. It's super long hours working in, a, in an agency. 
it's just, it was so many late nights, but I learned a ton from my creative director. And what was really cool about it is I was the only designer that was really interested in making websites. So they ended up just sort of handing all of their clients digital work to me, which was totally insane because I was way super young and I had like no idea what I was doing at all but I'd like before I knew it I was just like okay cool now I'm like making these I was making like all of these microsites for like all of these major brands like Hershey's and Heineken oh, wow. and like Reese's Damn. peanut butter cups and stuff like that yeah that is insane you're right <laughs> <laughs> I was like 21 years old and they were just like I don't know you can figure it out um oh, and it was also like a golden moment because I don't think they really had much of a digital strategy yet because it was yeah. at that time where like people were just starting to ask for this stuff. Right. And so they were like, oh, crap, how do we do it for you? And I was like, well, I think I could figure it out. Yeah. And did you <laughs> and even so, really know like what a yeah. site looks like, like what pages looked like, like what it should... I had no idea what yeah. I was doing. That's perfect. I had no idea. I'm sure some of this stuff was just like full of bugs. It was really like, <laughs> it was really gnarly. Uh, but yeah, I did that. And then from there, then I was like, okay, I really want to pursue a, a career in tech. But I don't want to do this stuff. I want to work on projects that have longevity to them where I can continue to iterate and like really improve them over long periods of time. Because working in advertising, you're just like constantly pumping up like 10 projects on the go at once and you're constantly pumping everything out. And it nothing has a shelf life for longer than like a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I thought, okay, well, maybe the way to move into this industry, because I didn't know anybody that really worked in tech, I didn't really know how to get there and I was also kind of like heading the wrong direction towards the wrong coast in hindsight I really (laughs) should have moved to California where I live now but I just didn't know like I just I didn't know anybody who lived in Silicon Valley I didn't have any connections I hadn't graduated from like you know it wasn't like I went to Stanford or something like that so I didn't know what I was doing and so I applied to grad school in New York because I knew I liked New York and it seemed great and I got into Parsons and SVA and I was planning planning on going and I was I was actually in New York like looking at apartments like getting ready to move there finishing up my grad school interviews and that was when I got an email from an old friend from college who had moved to London also not a place known for tech Mm -hmm. um, and was working for this brand new company this brand new startup called Last FM that no one had ever heard of and he was like, they're looking for a designer. I think you'd be really good for it. They need someone that understands the web and tech and isn't just a designer, but can also like do visual design or graphic design as it was called back then. And you should apply. And I was like, hell no. I was like, I'm, I'm about to move to New York and go to grad school, SBA. Like, I can't do this. Yeah. And he was like, well, I really think you should just interview. And I was like, you know, it probably can't hurt to interview. And so I checked my bank balance and I had like, just enough money in my account for a flight from New York to London. I had all my stuff with me anyway. I had my whole portfolio. So I was like, well, fuck it. Let's just wow. do this. Damn. That's pretty fortuitous. You're right. It's like, I've got everything packed, got my portfolio. What's an excuse to not do it? I think a big part of my... There's lots of reasons to not do it. Yeah. Think of it. But I'm a side like, no, There's girl. no reason to not do it, right? Yeah, like a lot of things in my life, like some things have felt like they have required like moving mountains to get them done. Um, and other things like that were just the right place, right time. And, and being open to saying yes. I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of my philosophy is just... I've said yes to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And that is being open to new experiences, I think, is a key driver for creativity and also what has allowed me to have a really interesting career. So that was that. I, I went to London. I met the founders. I absolutely fell in love with what they were doing. Last of them hadn't raised any money yet. Shortly after they hired me, they were invested in by Index Ventures. And the rest is kind of history. They exited to CBS some years later for like $270 million. Um, and I was leading the redesign up to that acquisition. And I was the first designer there and then running their design team and then product managing many, many features to market. And so that was really where I cut my teeth working in the tech industry was at that company. Um, and was something that, your that was job ever. Not ever, but was that your second professional job? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. Kind because of fucking nuts. Was, <laughs> yeah. it, it was kind of fucking, and it was, it was totally nuts. I mean, the only other thing that I had done besides work at that agency in Toronto was I had been like a, a research assistant for a studio at my college, which I don't think really counts as yeah. a real job. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It was nuts. Yeah. It was totally nuts. Um, and it was, it was like, how many years was it? It was like six years it was like the cra- one of the craziest times of my life. It was just the complete and total startup roller coaster. Absolutely everything that you could imagine. Well, it was a great time. Like it was a great time for you to be interested. Yeah, but very fortuitous, right? It's like the timing yeah. of of the everything. I mean, life is all about timing, but totally. it seems like you're hitting every like time yeah. point that you should along the journey. Just getting interested at the right time, learning these skills at the right time, sort of like pivoting at the right yeah. time, especially when everybody else around you is like, you're nuts, girl, what's right. wrong with when you? And really you're like, yeah. You're just doing what like, seems like something you'd really like to do. Right. But you're just on the nose so far. I mean, so now far. we know how their story's like not ended, but where you are today. So it's like, <laughs> so on the nose. <laughs> yeah. But one of the really unique things that I learned there that was also kind of like ahead of its time, very ahead of its time, was um, I spent a lot of time working with our machine learning team. And so Last.fm, the way that that service worked is it was predicated on the idea that if you could track what everybody was listening to, then you would be able to create better music recommendations, which is now a technology that's in any music listening service. This is how Spotify works. It's how Apple Music works. And that in technical terms is called collaborative filtering. It's also what Amazon uses to recommend you products, for instance. And and these types of algorithms are now a part of our everyday lives. We know them so well from our Netflix recommendations to everything. our TikTok recommendations, Instagram, yeah. everything. But at the time, this was 2006, it was like bleeding edge research mm-hmm. and technology. Technology. Like nobody had done this kind of stuff yet. And in fact, it was so bleeding edge that it was really hard to describe to consumers because people were suspicious that it was spyware. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, yeah. well, even still, sense. I mean, it makes sense, but even still, people are very suspicious, right? Because it's like when something knows you that well, it's like, why do you know me that well? Why do you know what I'm thinking of before I even thought of it? It's Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. with reason. With reason. Right. I mean, people still are suspicious, but back then they were really suspicious. Right. And now because... it's more of a convenience. It's like, I'm suspicious, but I like it. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. suspicious, but I'm going to click it because you know me. <laughs> like, my husband is obsessed with getting this fucking razor for his head called the Skull Shaper. He told me about it. I was not searching for it in any capacity. And what do you know? I get ads for Skull Shaver on Instagram every fucking day now. Yeah. You know? And it's Instagram is listening to you. Of course it is. (laughs) And it's just so crazy. I'm like, oh my God, it's not just the algorithm, you know? It's like, Mm -hmm. no, they're listening. Right. Yeah. I mean, did you click it yet? 
I'm, and, you fucking bought it already. There That's you right. go. Like, go away. So you were on the team that created this? Um, the company created it, but when I joined, I was like employee number 13. So it was a pretty small group of people that were working on these things. Wow. And um, yeah, I, I loved it because I was obviously super into music being a musician myself. And I was really obsessed with this idea of getting the right music to the right ears. I think also being from a place that was relatively isolated, like... I had been at the mercy of record store, not even record stores, like the mercy of like Walmart growing up and being like, how do I find the music that I want to listen to? And it was whatever they chose to stock. And Mm -hmm. this idea that I could train a system to learn my taste and it didn't matter where you were from or like what your background was or what people thought you liked, that you could find the music that you fell in love with, that to me felt like a really important mission to get behind. And I could just imagine and see all these kids all over North America and all over the world that lived in places like the place that I was from where they didn't have the access and then finding something that changed their life. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really exciting project to work on. But learning a lot about algorithms and machine learning was a huge part of it for me. And that ended up becoming the red thread through my life of building creative tools for self-expression after that. And so after that journey, it was pretty weird walking away from that company when I finally did because I was still pretty young, but I had accomplished so many things. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, how old are you now? Like 25, 26? Maybe a little older than that. I was like 27 or 28, I think, when I quit. And I just like ticked everything off my to-do list. Like I wanted to live in a major city. I wanted to have like a really serious like role that um, had global impact, I guess you could say. I wanted to work on a creative tech project and I wanted my work to be seen by millions of people. And so it was really weird. And so coming out of that, I was very lost. And I think at that point, even though I did start another company after that, those years for me of like my late 20s to almost like my my early 30s were really, really hard. They were like very dark years in my life because I didn't really know where I was going at that point. And all of my friends like couldn't really relate to these experiences that I had. So I felt really isolated Mm. and it was just, it was just hard. Like, I don't know. There's no real, there's no real guidebook to like what to do at that point in your life when you do all these things that you think are going to take you much longer. Well, and so, you know, growing up is hard, but there's like different places in your life where people come to crossroads or people realize that they're not happier, that they don't know what they want to do next. And it just hits you in different places. Like for me, that was a hundred percent 25 for you, it just kind of came later because you were busy. Because you're busy, exactly. You're busy. It kind of sounds opposite. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. A general, specific idea of what you yeah. wanted to do at a young age, and the talent to back it, and the ambition. So you kind of went head first in, and um, yeah. But it sounds normal. I mean, saying what you're describing, yeah, like kind of being I mean, a little bit lost and totally, dark. And like, what the fuck? Is totally normal. About? Yeah. And also, like later, I back on it too, I had just been, like, running at this pace that was, like, so intense for so long, like, these super long days and, like, long nights and, like, working weekends and not really giving myself any time to just feel anything. Mm. Yeah. And then that coupled with, like, living in London, working in the music industry, like, my go-to release was on the weekends was, like, parties and clubs. And, like, there was so much happening at that time. It was an amazing time to be living in London. Like, the music scene was fantastic. But it was not always, like, the healthiest way to deal with my emotions. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say in London is when – because you were mentioning that you loved music growing up, but you didn't really – 
have access to it, and which is similar to the way that I grew up. I grew up in a super musical household, but I grew up in the Catskill Girls. There was like no, there's country music stations. That was mm-hmm. it, which is why I only. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Tracy Chapman only recently found out was black because I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, they played on every country music station growing up, so I just assumes like another fucking white country lady. <laughs> but. I wasn't able to like find music really until I moved to college, and then I was in New York, mm-hmm. and then um, LimeWire was it LimeWire? That was Lime the Napster. yeah, LimeWire. Mm-hmm. But LimeWire was the one you could just get everybody like a whole building's worth of music in like oh, a yeah. moment. So then I had like all of this new school kids music. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's all mm-hmm. everything. So, but I always wondered like how would I have found music pre-Spotify and pre-Pandora, which is why when Spotify came out, suddenly I'm a cool kid that has like good taste in music, but it's just the algorithm. It's not me at all. <laughs> it's a little bit you, and it's also the algorithm. I mean, that was the exact problem that we were working on, is like what you just described. Yeah. So when you were in London, was that the first time that you really were able to like find, hone in your musical tastes and, and really not fall in love with music because you always loved music, but maybe explore different aspects of that. I was really super into music all through college and like collected music and like crate dug for records and stuff and was into it. But I had no other way to really get it at first other than like buying it on CDs. And then I also had Napster and LimeWire in college. And that was when I like started going deep on genres that I was super interested in. And so the the first genre of music for me that like really made me want to go download music was hip hop. And that was just the music that I felt the most like, I don't know, just like it just made me want to move and nothing had made me want to move like that ever before in my life. And so even to this day, I'm I'm still like a huge hip hop fan, though I listen to a lot of other different types of music too. But by the time I was working in music in London, I think by that point I was around so many people that were so snobby about it that mm. I had gone from just being into music and being that like cool girl that downloaded music and made mix CDs for my friends to being someone that was like, oh, I don't like going to that venue. Their sound isn't good enough, you know. Like <laughs> there <was> levels. <laughs> It was a different level of of music interest. Um, But I think that that just happens working in any industry. You start to become really kind of snobby about things. But yeah, it was was amazing because at the time, like Electro Clash, that whole sort of scene from Paris was coming up into London. Um, I caught like the tail end of of grime and the tail end of dubstep in the UK. I remember going to Plastic People every like Thursday night, I think was that club night. Um, And just really like clubbing my way through East London in my 20s. And... Yeah, that combined with working at a really fast-paced startup was a recipe for coming out the other end being like, who am I? What am I doing with my life? And (laughs) and how do I deal with my feelings? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and also throughout that time, it was also a very male-dominated industry. So this was also really, really tough work. Like, I was the first woman I was the first designer at last FM and it was really hard to stand my own like every day was another fight mm. and it's not like that anymore like now the industry has changed so much I mean sure there's still a lot of sexism that happens but it's nothing like what it used to be like nothing we are nice to hear. in a totally different place now and so it was really hard and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it because all my friends were also men that worked in tech. And mm. so they didn't understand yeah. that they were also doing things that were unacceptable. Right. 
And I didn't really understand that they were doing things that were unacceptable until much later in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's a really complicated feeling or set of feelings, I think, to unpack as a woman in my, like, you know, as I was turning 30, that all of this shit had happened to me that wasn't okay, but nobody knew. (laughs) Nobody knew at that time that it wasn't okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you, yeah, yeah, it's weird sitting and feeling uncomfortable, but you're not sure why and, or if it's okay. Like these days it's different, right? Me too. Or that it's like, or that it's valid. Yes. There was like, no, there was nothing to reflect back at me that what I was feeling was legitimate. Totally. Yeah. So how did you work through that? I mean, I'm sure you're still working through it, girl, but how Um, did you get to the other side? Like most immediately. I mean, in true, in typical Hannah Donovan style, by thrusting myself into more work, but also, uh, I, I think getting a lot more more focused about how I wanted my life to go. And so I ended up co-founding a company with uh, with a colleague from Last FM. And that company did really well. We had amazing organic growth. It was also in music. Um, we had like a lot of cool celebrities and, and like tastemakers using it. It was all about uh, sharing your favorite song right now. And your favorite song would last for seven days and then it would disappear and you'd have to add another one. And this was like around 2011 now. And we were experimenting. (laughs) Yeah. So we were experimenting with ephemerality at the same time the Snapchat started experimenting with it. And I think the reason for that is it was just like zeitgeist. Like everyone was getting kind of sick of dragging all of their baggage around the internet with them and having these profiles and having all this stuff. Like remember MySpace? Remember we had so much stuff on the internet Mm -hmm. that we all just wanted something lighter. We wanted something that was a little bit more in the moment and conversational and it could just go away and you wouldn't have to worry about it afterwards and so that was really fun unfortunately didn't manage to sell that company but I did learn a hell of a lot along the way mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like so valuable like I mean there's so much value besides monetary value in, that you gain in for life, sure right and it brought you to, I, to now mm-hmm. yeah I learned and also failure like it's oh, really yes. important to fail and that hadn't really happened to me that hard yet and um I think it's also the only way that you learn entrepreneurship. Like yes. the, if I hadn't had that experience with the first company, there's no way that I would have been able to build my second company as successfully as I did. It's yeah. all, it all comes down to learning from your mistakes. And so I came out of that a little bit worse for wear, but what it had done is really forced me to focus on putting myself into the driver's seat of my life again as a co-founder. And that was something that I had lost a little bit, I think, in my original like ambition in going to work into tech and then having spent like six years in it at this company where I was I was really facing like a lot of pretty rough sexism every single day that it had just kind of ground me down to not really remembering who I was or how I could have that ambition or drive or like be in charge of shit again. Mm-hmm. And so Starting my own company was helpful in that it was it was a real reminder that I had to I had to do things my way. And so coming out the other end of that, I was like, cool, I've had enough of London, I've had enough of this rainy ass weather. I'm getting I've got my British passport now. It's time to take a break. <laughs> um, I was like, I need to reorganize my life. So I was like, I want to move to New York City. I'm still trying to get there. <laughs> at this point I was like this is what I was gonna do before I moved here so like now let's do this thing and also I wanted to move to the states because I knew I wanted to start another company again and I wanted to be in a place where venture capital flowed more freely than in Europe because it's a totally different situation there and New York struck me as a good place for that because there's a lot of women in business people are very direct and that was another thing that I kept hearing 
living in London, people would always be like, can you just like turn it, tone it down a little bit? You're just a bit oh. like, you're just a bit, you're a bit full on, a bit no. strong. And I'd be like, ah. Girl, that would, <laughs> so, I, no, no, I don't like that. Yeah. So I was <laughs> just like, a loud well, girl. This. I'm going to go move like to a that. city where they actually like that trait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up moving to New York. And um, when I first got there, I was working for this company. Uh, I was working for MTV, essentially, for Viacom. And that was great because it was a great opportunity for me to learn the ropes of, like, the old entertainment industry. And the other reason it was great is because I wanted to move into video. Like, at that point, music was feeling like a solved problem on the Internet. We had more or less figured out collectively as a as a society, that is, um, how to stream music instantly. People had moved from using MP3s to cloud stored files and also recommendations were were becoming a solved problem and so video was clearly going to be the next really exciting thing and it was also one of my first loves it was something that I played around with a lot when I was a kid it was more visual and so I was like cool this is where I want to be so moved to New York got this job working at MTV the job was kind of a total shit show and uh, we ended up going through like some one of those super annoying reorgs and I was like I need to leave and get out of here but in the interim, I learned a lot of things and made a lot of really great connections. And when the reorg happened and I was like, cool, I'm out of here, it was it was tough because it was still a new city. And as you as you both know, know, like New York is not like the kindest place to not have a plan in. And I also as an immigrant, I was I was on a visa. And so you this was before Obama passed the 30 day grace period law. So the minute you don't have a job, you're supposed to leave the country like right away. And so it's pretty harsh. It's yeah. pretty harsh. You have to, like, leave the minute you, you lose your job. And so I had been kind of, like, forced to resign in this ugly reorg situation that I contested. And then I was like, well, cool. You know what? You guys don't deserve my talent. I'm out of here. So I luckily was able to get another job working at an agency over the summer while I looked for, like, the next thing that I wanted to be doing in tech and was able to stay in the States legally and transfer my visa and do all that stuff, um, which was a lot of work and very stressful because it's just a lot of paperwork and a lot of jumping through hoops and not knowing if you can be in one place and not having any real security. And so it was hard. That was sort of the beginning of a very difficult time in my life, but uh, a time when I learned a hell of a lot. (laughs) And so I ended up um, getting a job working in this company called Drip, and they were like a Patreon competitor. They ended up getting acquired by Kickstarter. Um, and that was the first place that I also moved into product. So doing a role that was like both design and product at the same time formally. And that was really um, exciting for me. I guess I had been doing that too at MTV, though. I don't know if it was really as as called out there on paper. And so that was really validating to me as well, because working in more of a PM capacity is something that was also kind of like the holy grail of something to get into in tech and a role that while now lots of women do it, I think back then it was much harder to be able to do that role as a woman because you're required to be fairly technical in that role. You interface with engineers a lot. Mm. And while I had like taught myself to code and I have a lot of technical background, I don't have an engineering degree. And so people would see like designer plus a woman and they would be like, oh, you go off and play with the crayons. Um, And, you know, you're not going to do anything important here. And I really wanted to work... I really wanted to do strategy and build companies. And so I knew that um, that being able to 
get a PM role was really important. So anyway, that was a really great learning experience. And at that point, I was able to also learn more about working on the the subscription business side of like the creator ecosystem, working more with their managers, understanding sort of more of the issues that face creators today when it comes to monetizing their businesses. And that was that was really great because up until that point, I'd also only really worked on the consumer side of things, like how people enjoy the art that these creative people make, not right. so much on the side of like their lives and, and their jobs. And so from there, I ended up getting hired by Jack to go run Vine at Twitter. Mm. And that was a pretty big job and also a very intense job. Like I said, this period in my life was pretty gnarly. Um, you, so I, you mean like Jack Dorsey? Yeah. Like Jack? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I... <laughs> So it was an early time because it was Sorry, like, okay, just, so you another were so visa, casual. another job, like do this thing. And I didn't, I didn't want to go across to Kickstarter and the acquisition, sorry, Kickstarter. So I was like, cool, I'm going to jump ship and go do this thing at Vine instead. I thought I had it all sorted out and I was like, cool, my, my career is really back on track right now. And then cut to almost six months later, Twitter was shutting down Vine. Mm. So I was the general manager there at the time when that happened, which was really, really tough. It was probably the most difficult thing I've had to deal with in my life, other than maybe selling my own company, which was also pretty hard. But uh, (laughs) having to be the face of that and to deal with it was, was really hard because not only was it emotionally extremely distressing to me and I didn't think that it was the right decision, but it was also a ton of operations and that was not something that I knew how to do. I didn't have the background in operations. I'm a designer. I didn't know how to do HR and finance and like manage burn down to the very last dollar. Like sure. I'd done that as a co-founder, but not really in such a hardcore capacity, not for like a publicly traded company. It's a totally different thing. So that job was hard it was really hard now looking back because this is sort of something i keep seeing coming up in the news and knowing that you got that six months after you were hired they got Mm -hmm. shut down do you think this is maybe like a glass cliff situation definitely it was absolutely a glass cliff situation um there's no question about it yeah and things had gotten really out of control by the time that i had joined vine and i knew that it was going to be a challenging job but i remember in my first week being like this is so much worse than I thought it was going to be. This is like, this is really a mess in here right now. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be changed and fixed. And, and I still think that it could have been possible Mm -hmm. had Twitter really wanted to invest in that product, but they were also dealing with their own challenges. They had had their worst quarter on wall street and they also needed to make a lot of changes to their own business to Mm -hmm. succeed. And so that's something that I really get like, you know, when a business is in any kind of distress, you have to go back to your defensible core. Mm -hmm. And if I had to answer that question, honestly, like was Vine the defensible core of Twitter? Didn't seem like it at that time. Now, could it have been like, could it have been TikTok? Maybe, but Mm -hmm. you would have had to have the entire company invested in that vision. So yeah, tricky, tricky things, right? Um, Yeah, you're right. It could have been TikTok. Like what was the, I mean, I'm not a huge social media person, but from what I know of Vine, I know that when Vine shut down, people were devastated. (laughs) I was like, I don't even know anything about this, but people were so upset. And the little bit that I do know, it seems like it was 
kind of like TikTok, like very similar and like short bursted stories and things like that. Yeah, very similar. I mean, essentially Musical.ly cloned Vine and then TikTok bought Musical.ly and then repackaged it back wow. to the world. So, I mean, wow. everything everything about crazy it, industry. The, it is a crazy industry. Even the name TikTok is meant to suggest short form video like that you only have you know, six seconds yeah, to make it. Right. And a lot of the features that we had been working on are now present in it, like collaboration and sounds and other stuff like that. But the, the core of it is, is pretty much the same thing. Like short form video hasn't really evolved that much in the last six or seven years. It's really just that it's become more mass adopted. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Vine was really just for creators with a capital C, and those people are like the people that are really motivated to wind up in Hollywood, the people that are trying to make video their profession, these people that like are willing to put a lot of time and energy into learning the tools and the editing techniques, and now it's different. Now video is hitting the mainstream in a way where anybody is like, oh, maybe I can like, you know become a video influencer let me just like you know pick up my phone here and see what I can do but it's still pretty hard and so the silver lining in that role was that I had noticed that it was really hard for a lot of people to make video and even the people that knew how to make video well they still didn't always want to take the time that it would be required to make stuff look good Mm -hmm. and so I got really curious about what it would be like to make something for everybody else like the people that didn't feel as competent working in that medium what would it be like to make something for casual creators uh folks that were like I don't know I'm not technical enough I don't really know how to use video and so leaning on my background, having done a lot of stuff with machine learning at Last FM, I was like, you know, I wonder if we could use artificial intelligence to help solve this problem. What if we could know what's in your video clips and then use that to make a rough cut? And not only would that help make it faster, but the other thing it would do is it would also just get you over that initial creative hurdle of like starting from nothing, which is mm-hmm. so, so difficult for people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even more difficult for casual creators because unlike creative professionals like myself, it's not like they're working every day to try and challenge their own creative block to work through their own hurdles like that's a really hard skill to learn like that's something that I had pounded into me in in design school it's like you think you don't have an idea well like sit the fuck down and like pump out 10 sketches and now I bet you do right like yes yes exactly yeah (laughs) it's not nice but like you learn how to do it and of course there's days where you feel super creative and like you're just inspired and everything flows through your fingers and other days where it feels like you just can't even turn your own tap on at all it's just like dripping but when it's how you make your money you really start to pay attention to your own quirks what keeps you creative what you need Mm -hmm. and that's not something that you can expect of people who are amateurs people who are casual creators they're just going to be like I don't know how to get started. This is really hard because it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really easy to stop. Like, it's really yes. easy to just not even take that first step. Like, everybody has a box of watercolors shoved away in some drawer in their house that they've never opened. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's because just getting them open and mixing them with water and trying to do that thing for the first time totally. feels incredibly difficult. Well, what do I to paint? What do most I record? People. What do I feel? Exactly. What do I make? I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't have any ideas. I'm not inspired. I'm creatively blocked. But I really want to. I really, really want to. Yes. And this is something that's inside everybody. Like, people at their core are all creative. We were all creative as children. Like, creativity is part of who we are. It doesn't necessarily have to come out in making art. It could be coming out in, like, 
DIY or cooking or baking or some other kinds of aesthetics, but like making things is something that makes us happy as people. And everybody deserves to have that little bit of joy in their day, whether you're going to make it for lots of people to see or just make something for yourself to enjoy. It just feels good. It feels nice to make things and look at them after and be like, I did that. You know, it was really satisfying. And so I got really interested in how we could democratize video. And so that was when I started to work on the idea for trash. And that is the company that I just, just built and was just acquired. And so that was the last three years of my life. And I teamed up with my my co-founder, Dr. Jean-Viev Patterson, who's an amazing scientist, and she did all of our machine learning and technology, and I did all of our product and design. With a small team, we executed an iOS app that um, did exactly that. It like helped make you instant video. And I remember the first time you used it, Elizabeth, you were yeah. like, you said that someone was like, I can't believe that you actually made that video, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and two is, remember we did it together. We did it, it together. Oh, yes. Data. I still have it. We did the, the wax. You said, I can't yeah. believe we just made that video because she had yeah. just started working. I was like, let's make a little wax video. My client, Hannah, just gave me super secret access to her new app. Yeah. It was and very cool. It's very cool. And it's exactly what you, it was way cooler than I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It was way cooler than I thought it was going to be because it was like photography before Instagram. Before Instagram, nobody thought they were a photographer and nobody thought that they could be a photographer. But then Instagram Uh comes and it gives you the tools and makes it easy. You don't even have to think about it to make these beautiful looking things. And when you were describing your app to me the first time, I was like, oh, it's like Instagram, but for video. And which I thought, but then I saw it and I was like, this is so much further beyond just in that. Video, exact. You said it perfectly. Video is so difficult, but because we, in our culture, we watch movies, we watch TV. It seems so easy because we've seen mm-hmm. it from the womb. Totally. Alex and yeah. I just started filming the Summer Girl. Should the hard. fuck! It's I was so like, this is why there's 300 people sets. There's so much that it's goes so into hard. it, and we yeah. just make it look easy because of Hollywood. So yeah, it's a real like read write problem. I I call it like we can all read videos so well. We're so fluent in this language mm-hmm. because it's around us all the time. We see commercials, we watch TV, we watch movies. It's like in the street, and so we know what looks good, and we can imagine what we want our things to look yes. like. But then writing it, it, like actually making it is super challenging. And there's all of these incredibly tiny little micro decisions that you have to make to get just the right shot or the right lighting or the right this or the right that. And so that we try to take away some of that stress for people. The mood and the music and like Mm -hmm. you guys, you do so much more than I initially imagined to make this video really feel like something beautiful that you want to show off. And that like. You know, there's filters, and and you don't even have to think about the filters. Just like we watch this video, we put it together, and I think that this is probably the mood that you're going for. Tell me what you think, and then you're gonna tweak this. I'm I'm not telling you about. I'm telling the listeners, and then you go and throw something else in, and it's like, all right, well, this is a little bit better. It's so cool. I mean, I'm doing a terrible job explaining it, but it's just very, very cool and very intuitive. You know how to video? Yes, like clip shit together and and add (laughs) music. And you guys have music too. We make you look pretty cool. We make you look cool even if you don't know how. So I'm so glad that I have fans on, on this on this interview. This is really cool. So Yeah. No, it's a so yeah, Trash product. Trash was just recently acquired by Visco and we're gonna be building our tech into their app in twenty twenty one. So more exciting instant video features will be coming to Visco in the near future. That is awesome. If you're a user. Very cool. And maybe it'll become one now. 
we have to. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and so I'm also their new director of product. So that's my that's my new job that I started on Monday. So that's so cool. that's the story. Yeah, girl. <laughs> that's so that's the story. That's it. That's my There's little. There's a lot story. of ups and downs. And you've said so many incredible things. You've had such an incredible career, and it's not and even over. I mean, you're right in the middle of it. Over. It's kind of insane. Yeah. But I just, hope not. No, dude, but you're just super driven and obviously very smart and talented, but just, I don't know, like... You were made to be alive during this time. Yes, yes. Hit the right <laughs> targets like, at the right shit. time, honestly, yes. It's so cool. Your story is like one of, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, I was listening, I was watching, it was a Bill Gates documentary. no. It wasn't. I think that I was watching. No, because no, it wasn't. It was like Freakonomics or something like that. It was something about him, but it wasn't him doing it, right? And they were just talking about all of the things that had to line up in order for Bill Gates to become Bill Gates, like mm. being born in the right time, having the family that could send him to or buy him this computer when a time when nobody had mm. computers, and just all of these things that didn't have anything to do with him himself, but forced him to become this great person that we know today and yours yours sound very very similar to that just like <laughs> so that's well, very no, flattering so you and bill gates that sorry that's the only person i, I can compare yourself to girl is bill gates but like you're gonna have to take it but like honestly just like it's, somebody who's it's there... interesting to hear it from that perspective because i think so many times along this journey i was probably far too focused on the lack and the things that i didn't have which is also not a great recipe for success and definitely something that i learned to overcome and focus on the things that I did have but like being a woman in this industry has just always felt like such a hard cross to bear and then also being a woman working in consumer tech too that's like another niche that's like it's even like a harder like little concentric circle within that big circle and actually these last two weeks are pretty cool because my friend Esther Crawford she also her company um, squad was just acquired by Twitter and so like within two weeks my company was acquired and then her company was acquired and it was all over the internet. And a lot of people were like, whoa, these are like two women founders in consumer tech that have both been had successful exits. And that's, that's very, very new. Like, I mean, only 2% of venture capital funding goes to women. Mm -hmm. And then of that, like almost zero women pursue consumer tech. Like people, women who do work in tech and found their own companies, this is going to sound a little, harsh but I'm just gonna say it anyway I always joked when I was fundraising that like you're allowed to do babies and you're allowed to do makeup and you're allowed to do fashion and you're allowed to do women's health and you're allowed to do period shit and you're allowed to do pregnancy (laughs) but you're not allowed to make robots you're not allowed to build machine learning you're not allowed to do consumer tech like there's still things that are like out of bounds that are just like not considered industries that women are allowed to build companies in and so Um, Yeah, social and consumer, that's like, to see both Esther and I succeed in that category was just like, it was really fucking cool. It was like, a new era is here. (laughs) Closing out the worst year ever. Like this? (laughs) Yes, girl. Yes. I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you. That's so cool. But yeah, so I always felt like I wasn't in the right place at the right, like I always felt like I wasn't the right person to be doing these things because I look at my career and I'm like, well, I could have accomplished all of this 10 years sooner if I had been a man or if I had gone to Stanford, or if I had grown up in the Bay Area, my life would have been so different. I would have had way more money in the bank, and I would be 28 years old instead of 38 years old. 
but you just can't look at things that way. Like yeah. everything unfolds at everyone's own pace. And my story is, is very multicolored and probably has led me to where I am today in ways that those other paths wouldn't. And you're right. Um, there's a lot that I have to be grateful for. I mean, girl, I'm so proud of you. I am. And one, I love one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is being able to do that. Be like, but you did that. Like, <laughs> you know, just listening to your story. <laughs> like, don't downplay it. You did that. Yes. And pointing yeah. things out that you just glossed over because it just happened to you. But like as an outsider looking in, these are very, very impressive things that you've done. And granted, like, no, I'm not in tech. And you compare yourself to those people and that's fine. But we are the normies, <laughs> the rest of us out here that are using your products and that are looking at your story and, and finding out about the great Hannah Donovan exactly you're very impressive girl you're fucking killing it dude it's awesome you just made my night made my week I mean I really just like it was all just sort of it's just been like following my curiosity Mm, yes that's really all it comes down to like at every twist and turn in this story it's just like and then I got interested in this thing yeah well (laughs) following your curiosity and following through with that not just like being like I'll google it and then walk away and whatever you're gonna do right like you Mm -hmm. kind of did a deep dive every time like you put your whole self into these new passions that you learned it seems and that it's obviously paid off it's great and also thank you for dealing with fucking men so that the generation behind you you know can have a little bit of a better experience you're paving it's bullshit yeah hopefully it'll be easier I really want to do as much as possible to empower the next generation of women to work in this industry because it is such a fucking cool industry to work in and I think it gets such a bad rap and there's so many jokes and parodies and like I you know I watch Silicon Valley and I cringe because it's a little too close to home and it's a little too real yeah but It's like for all of the bad rap that it gets, and of course, you know, there's lots of cities don't like tech for lots of reasons too. It's just, it's a really cool industry. And I really love working in it because you get to make the future. And I just don't know where else you get to do that. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, I really like that you think in the future also. I think most people probably think either present or in the past. And I loved that at the beginning when you said, like, I'm not a very nostalgic person. I'm always looking towards the future. That's so inspiring but I mean that's a leader I think right and that's a change maker that's somebody who's yeah destined to change the world because you're not looking back you're just looking forward so that's awesome thanks is there any place that we should direct our listeners to find out more about you or anything that you want to plug I mean usually sure I mean if anyone wants to learn more about me I'm at Han on Instagram and Twitter those are probably the two best places to follow me um or you can check out my website hannahdonovan.com where there's a link to my podcast and my newsletter where I share sort of like a behind the scenes look at what it's like to be in my job in tech and all my work is up there too so that's that's where you can find me on the internet hey guys hey hope you enjoyed that interview with hannah i learned a lot i learned a lot about Canadian life. Yes, it's freezing <laughs> up there. Fucking cold. <laughs> I can barely handle New York when it's like 50 degrees. Yeah. I'm like, I'm on summer back. I would not have lasted as a human living in Canada. Or maybe it would have been like an even more awesome esthetician than you already are because all you would have to do is like time maybe. to study skin. Maybe. And actually, maybe I would enjoy living in New York even more because I'd be like, it's so warm here. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Hannah really has 
broken boundaries in yes. her industry. Mm-hmm. I'm so impressed by her. Totally. And just, I said it during the interview, but just how everything in her life, the timing was so on point. And not saying that she didn't work hard because she totally did. Yes. But I feel like her hard work with the timing of the industry that she's in. Yes. Just fucking balanced out so perfectly. A hundred percent. And I remembered it was Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Yeah. That was the book that I was trying to remember when we were yeah, talking yeah. about about Bill Gates and just things being on time and... <laughs> I love how she was just like, are you comparing me to Bill Gates right now? <laughs> and you're like, kind of. Yeah, but it's like the cool thing of, I think about people that are sort of like hand and that are in the tech space is it's not just enough to be great. You have got to be great and somehow match up with this timeline of things happening so fast. And yeah. Because if you know how to do all this stuff, but it wasn't as like desired. Yes. Or it before your time. It wouldn't make sense as much, yes, right? Yes, exactly. I also love when she said, you know, the next challenge for our industry was video. Like, photo, mm-hmm. they just figured out. Music, they figured out. Video was next. She predicted the timeline. She predicted the timeline, exactly. When she said that, I was like, well, yeah, it is obvious when you say it like that, but not to anybody else, dude, because you're fighting for this dream and like we're seeing that play out that she's absolutely right it made me think a lot more about all of these like apps and everything that we use day to day because i don't know about you but like i just take all the shit for granted totally you know i think of something i'm like oh there's an app for that yeah like fucking instagram meanwhile it's like no my (laughs) life is so much easier than it could be if we didn't have all of these apps and there's just an app for everything i'm just like i want to know how my sleep is. Oh, there's probably an app for that. And there's totally. like 10 of them. Yeah. There's someone behind that. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I just think that's really cool. And I think she's really cool. And I yeah. can't wait to see what else she does. Totally. And I also wanted to mention that if you've never heard the term glass cliff before, definitely look into it. It's something that has been spoken about within women in corporate jobs a lot as of recently specifically and it's this idea that women aren't necessarily given the chance to really lead a company until the company is in a position that they're going to fail. So we may as well just give this girl the reins and see how she does because it's on the way down anyway Mm. and it's this impossible feat that nobody else wants to touch so we'll give it to the lady. So... What the fuck? What the fuck, yes, (laughs) but also like I love that she was just like this was absolutely that situation but fuck it. I'm going to get in there and try and do my best because this is something that I always wanted to do and it was a chance of a lifetime. Badass bitch. Baddie. Love it. Yes. So, guys, don't forget to rate and review us if you like the show. Rate and review. Um, find us on Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. Or, or at True or Beauty and Brooklyn. Or, yeah. The True Beauty Brooklyn And page. if you live locally, come hang out with us at the studio. You can make an appointment at TrueBeautyBrooklyn.com. Check out our Patreon. Check out our Patreon. Alex and I have been making tons of videos actually recently for Instagram, for skincare. We've been doing brow tutorials. And it's really just like a teaser because we're going to drive you all to the Patreon soon. Soon enough. It's not going to cost you a lot. It'll cost you a dollar. Dollar. <laughs> but it's going to be exclusive for the girls who choose to really like stan us because we stan you guys. So definitely check out the Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> going through puberty? Going through puberty over here. <laughs> and I'm going through changes. <laughs> watch Big Mouth. <laughs> if you don't watch Big Mouth, you better start. And that's it, guys. We love you. We'll see you um, next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.